When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is One Hate Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Thank you so much for listening. We are on the precipice of the 26th minute of Michael Mann's crime epic from 1995, Heat, starring Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And I have once again, as promised, Shane A. Bassett joining me. He is a film critic and book critic and interviewing extraordinaire across print and radio and online and the podcast world. Shane, thank you so much for coming back and joining me for another episode of One Heat Minute. Oh, thanks, Blake. Absolutely love doing this. As I said before, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. We, lo- we left you on a cliffhanger of Al Pacino holding a drumstick, <laughs> so we're going to not let you uh, leave. We've got to show you what happens with that, guys, and then we're going to come back and unpack the minute and talk to Shane about his first experiences with Heat and a little bit of the proof-of-concept TV movie that Michael Mann made before Heat, LA Takedown. Let's have a listen to this minute and we'll come back. There we there go. go. <laughs> Very good. So your first experience with heat, before we dive into the minute, what was your first experience with heat? On mine, I've said a couple of times, but just to reiterate, I, I saw it 1997 on VHS because in Oz it came out mid-96, I think. It was uh, a December release in LA in 1995 um, uh, and uh, coming out just in time, I guess. Sort of a, funny that a crime movie sort of an award season run time for heat to come out um you know 60 million dollar budget i think with warner brothers at the time two massive actors um and yeah so i didn't actually see it until um about 1997 on vhs what about you shane i was lucky enough to see it in the theater and when was that i saw it in america in america that the christmas 1996 i was in florida and i saw heat and double wasn't a double feature i 
uh, officially, but I saw two movies that day, and the first one was Heat. The second one was Sudden Death. Jean-Claude Van Damme. But, yeah, I saw Heat on New Year's Day, 1996. Wow. So I remember it was a 2 o'clock session. It was at a multiplex <laughs> at some uh, shopping center. I can't remember exactly. It was around Jacksonville, I think, because <laughs> I was staying with some people. And, um, yeah, I was spending Christmas for a week around that area with some people, and I went into the movies, took myself to the movies, and loved it. And I came back to Australia, and it was released a few months later and went and saw it again. Oh, we'll see. That's it. You know, back in the day, we weren't getting into this day-and-day release with the uh, other international countries. It was at least a few months. I think it was about March. It would have been about Easter or something that it came out down under. We're unpacking that. So, heat. Your first time then, you loved it straight out of the theatre? You were just like, this is a, a masterpiece? Oh, my type of movie. I mean, I probably had a bit of a hangover seeing it this <laughs> New Year's Day, but I do remember it was an afternoon session to three o'clock in the afternoon. It wasn't busy. I also remember that. And I just, it, you know, I knew nothing about it at the time. I knew it was a new movie. But it, going into it and loving Val Kilmer as much as I do as well, um, it, it had an impact on me. I knew Michael Mann's work as well. So I was very much, it's a bit hard to sort of recall, you know, that long ago exactly <laughs> what, what I was thinking, but I know I would have been anticipating it. Um, and I still love it to this day. And it's a regular feature. I, I probably haven't watched it in full for a while since until you called me for the uh, podcast to join you. But I have seen it many times over the years, and it made yeah. that in- impact of me uh, the first time I saw it in the theatre. Inglorious widescreen, I remember that. It was oh. Cinemascope, and, you know, you can just uh, oh. it's a shame you didn't see it in the big screen. Oh, man, I would have loved to have seen it on, like, 35 mil. Just glorious Dante Spinotti uh, <laughs> cinematography. Uh, I those... bought the soundtrack, too, when I was over oh. there. There's back when CDs shops were still around, basically. Yeah. I, and, and I you still know, have the soundtrack. And you know what's funny is that um, Luke Doolan, who's an who's a future guest of this podcast, um, yeah. uh, who's already recorded his... So I might just cut this part out of his podcast, uh, his, his, his entry with us, um, talked about buying the, the script of Heat before... But um, uh, I think it was Luke or it was either Henry Nixon or Luke Dolan bought the script of Heat before it came out in Australia, like heard about the movie, heard it was going to be Pacino and De Niro and bought it in advance so that they could study it and be like, oh, this is this amazing new movie where De Niro and Pacino are finally on screen again, just like Godfather Part 2. Um, what black black market script buying? <laughs> I don't know. I think you could legitimately buy them back then. I was like, oh, man, I would love to get my hands on that. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, uh, uh, interesting stuff. And I think, you know, there was a bit of a mythology around the film um, from – just those two guys being in it and being across from one another in, and the last time was in the, you know, an Oscar winning best picture, um, you know, a, a couple of decades earlier. Um, well, I think this was the year before Val Kilmer had done, uh, Island of Dr. Moreau too. Yes. So his, uh, Pete Kilmer, this, is, this is Pete Kilmer before he, uh, jumps <laughs> yeah. off the cliff with Marlon in the, in the Isle of Dr. Moreau. As much as I still like him, and I'll, I'll watch whatever he's in, and I think he is talented. This was before he sort of went off the deep end for that period, and, <laughs> yes. and people didn't want to work with him. 
So he was just as much on the uh, showcase as just as much as what Pacino and De Niro was when they were marketing this movie. Absolutely. And I mean, he's the guy that's on the front cover. He's, and um, you know, I think when you've got what's meant to be a supporting, I'm sort of using inverted commas. He's meant to be a supporting character. Um, You know, he's got a, a fascinating story and Charlene is a fascinating character as well. And their entire dynamic and, and and a whole a whole massive part of the film is around Vincent trying to cut into to Shahilis's family in order to manipulate Neil. So um, you know, and, oh yeah, and and, so, and, and another actor, uh, John Voight. This oh. was around the time of I think Tomb Raider and and whatever else he appeared <laughs> before in. before Anac- he gets Anaconda. into a- uh, Anaconda. <laughs> yeah. So this wasn't really. Uh, his career wasn't peaking for him, but no. to be for him to be in this movie uh, with that that sort of funny moustache and the stringy hair, he has an impact as well. I mean, I loved Runaway Train, something yes. he did in the eighties, just amazing film. So his acting ability is still there, but he just wasn't actually either his agent wasn't getting the getting him the right roles, or and he, he didn't care at the time. He's he's an amazing actor, and and Man uses him again in the two thousand and one Ali. Um, where he plays right. Howard Cosell, yeah. and I think he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor that year, and that's another tremendous performance. But again, you know, he's he's operating a, a, a opposite De Niro, um, mm. who's just sublime in this movie, uh, and he's just completely holding his own, effortless, um, and 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 carries this air of respect. Um, and you know, later on, Colin Farrell will take his haircut and mustache combo and, uh, wear it in Miami Vice, the theatrical version. So, um, <laughs> you gotta love that. But, yeah. you know, we've talked, we haven't talked too much about it in Heat, uh, One Heat Minute so far, which is, you know, back in 19, around, I think it was around 1975, Michael Mann first met a Chicago police officer by the name of Chuck Adamson, who told him a story about a real life person called Neil McCauley, a real life criminal. Yep. Who he knew um, was about to do a job and he went and had a coffee with him. And so the sort of centerpiece that's coming up in this movie um, was based on that story of sitting down and having a conversation with a guy who he knew was going to commit a crime um, and basically respecting him enough to sort of sit there and have a conversation. And then Chuck Adamson eventually killed the real Neil McCauley. And, okay. And so that was 1975 and man comes along in 1995. So a full two decades after to make this theatrically, but not a lot of people realize that Heat was a TV movie, which potentially was going to be a TV show, but then eventually just sort of stuck as one thing in 1989. So six years before called LA takedown, um, which is, you know, same same character names, um, a bunch of great actors. Michael Rooker is in it, um, and uh, um, you've got uh, you've got a, one of the cheaper Baldwin's, Daniel Baldwin's in it as well. Um, and you've you've got these guys in it, um, and and it's written by man, it's done by man. It's a much shorter film, and it's like this is his little proof of concept. It's only an hour and a half movie, little TV movie, um, and and it sort of goes through and and does much of what we see, but in a much cheaper um, uh, way earlier on. And you've seen it. I have. Uh, 89 was sort of around the time when it, Miami Vice, the television show he was executive producer on, yes. was coming to an end. So maybe they thought LA Takedown was going to sort of transverse into, 
you know, the uh, western side of the yeah. yeah the western side of the cops show and it just didn't quite take off but i hadn't seen it before i'd seen heat but i was working in a video shop <laughs> and it was i remember the cover but hadn't watched it back you know back in the old vhs then i must have watched it at some point or bought an old copy of it or something um, i don't know it even could i still could even have a copy of it packed away somewhere but then when I started watching, I'm like, this is a little bit familiar. And then, like you say, <laughs> the Wayne Grow was in it. And yes. I'm like, I know that name and Vincent. And then I put two and two together and figured out, oh, Heat has been, you know, spawned from L.A. Takedown. And it's something that I didn't know at first. So I actually saw Heat as a, a movie that I didn't realize had been sort of conceived earlier. Yeah, and I think it's like... It's really funny when you think about he's scratched an itch that had been hanging around for, at that stage, it's like 15 years or 14-year itch. You know, I want to make, I want to take this story and I want to make it into a film. And he gets a little bit of a budget and he makes it and, and, you know, ultimately probably satisfying to the point that he made it, but also dissatisfying because of the budget. And was like, no, this needs to be bigger. It needs to be more epic. It needs to be you know, not as fast paced and not as cheap or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, he's got a proof of concept and, you know, once you've got actors like, you know, he'd be able to refine the script. He's still desperate at that point, you know, like even after making it in 89, an hour and a, you know, 90 minute movie, he's like, Expanding no, it. he's like, no, I need to, this needs to be something bigger and, and something more. And so, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because it just shows, you know, the desire to tell this story. Like it's, it's whatever you want to say about heat, um, you know, 20 years in the make, 20 years in the gestation, um, and you know, in 14 years in actually gets it to making it into something of a, you know, of a film. Um, but yeah, there's definitely that, uh, you know, that desire just carried, carried on through. I saw it, I saw it hunting it down. Um, I, I've, I've talked briefly about it, but, um, I did a thesis on Michael Mann, um, at, at university and I hunted down every one of his films, including The Keep, which is, um, uh, I bought as a dodgy DVD copy from like, I think Denmark or something like that. Um, yep. and y- you know, there's, um, I found LA takedown, watched it. And, uh, I think it was like a one and done. I was so familiar with heat. I'd been watching it. Heat forms a massive part of a, a chunk of one of the movies, uh, that I really dived in and analyzed at that time. Um, not as much as I'm analyzing with you guys, um, listening and, and, and guests like Shane, but, um, yeah, like, uh, so LA Takedown was super familiar for me and just, you could, like, it'd be an interesting exercise. I'm not going to do it in this podcast, but interesting exercise to see just how much changed um, and how much he sort of moved on and changed characters and built things out because it just it, it lacked dimension. I think LA Takedown, you can see, like, it's a good exercise to go, this is, it'd be great to read the scripts, the LA Takedown yeah. script and the Heat script just to see you know, cause in some scripts they talk about merging characters, you know, to be a bit more efficient, but in heat, it's like, no, no, no we're going to give more character. We're going to give this person more time. We're going to give this more emphasis. Um, it's, you know, very stripped down. I think cause he had two television shows, crime story and Miami vice on the go. Yeah. Then Manhunter wasn't a huge hit from what I remember. Uh, it, but, but he was writing off that kind of success. So he, at least it wasn't a pilot episode. It was an no. actual TV movie length, and it got a release. You know, it could have been like any other 
oh, well, not any other, but a lot of other pilot TV shows that get made and with budgets and so forth, but then just get dropped yes. because they don't get picked up. Well, if this was, this was completed, it was released to a certain extent. And uh, I'm just, it's something of a curiosity piece, especially for people listening who, who love Heat so much and maybe not, not knew about it. You know, like I didn't, when I first saw Heat and like I said, I remember the cover distinctly in the video shop I worked at, just didn't <laughs> actually watch it until years later. Well, I think, you know, I think when we get, and I'm going to say when, when Michael Mann comes on the podcast, I'll be <laughs> sure at some point to ask him about LA Takedown and uh, the itch that that still needed scratching for heat. Um, let's jump into this minute because we we, we, we see a dropped chicken leg um, beginning this scene and we see him it's almost like in this moment in a couple of seconds in the in the 26th minute you see Pacino put his head down like he's defeated like the conversation's over with yeah. Justine and she looks at him and in that moment she's standing in that superior position and she just puts her hands up and goes okay this this is no longer a conversation this no. is nothing you're not going to I'm I'm not going to get anything constructive out of you in this in this state and so she just you know, paces back upstairs and immediately goes. Um, and then Vincent gets back into his routine. He's and wiping his hands a little bit. And, you know, he's like, oh, taking a breath. Uh, and then he's sort of contemplating what's he going to do now. And he takes a second before he turns on the TV, right? Yeah, he does. It's like 25 minutes and 16 seconds. He's, he's touched. He's, he spent a moment just sort of collecting himself. He puts his hands on his, 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 his uh, thumb and forefinger, just sort of, and, and a few of his other fingers resting on his forehead, just for a quick second to collect himself. He wipes his hands. He's about to pick up the TV remote, and then there's just this moment where he looks up, and there's this great, I don't know if it's like curious, um, emotional shot and it's just like i don't know if it's regret feel i don't know there's a lot happening in this face this frame with pacino and he's sort of like do i go up there do i follow her and he and he ultimately makes the decision where he just again from that curiosity from that thought yeah. he just defeated his head sinks again and he's like no i'm not gonna i can't i can't he's looking at justine as if to say oh no basically it's what happening. have i done it's happening again right yeah it's happening again that's that's it's all you can just tell by looking at his face. He's that's why he's collected himself. Then he sort of briefly turns to his left, sees it going up the stairs, and he's like, "Oh no, not again!" So we're we're in a section now. He's watching his little TV. He's resting back in his chair, and we've, we we get interest. We get introduced to some new characters. We've seen some uh, we've seen some characters we were introduced at the beginning, and we get introduced to another vital character in Heat right well, now. Bef beforehand, Blake, don't forget what came on the TV. It was a news bulletin, and all I could pick up from it was a key defendant in Denmark is what the newsreader said oh, really? before it switches. Yeah, Key defendant in Denmark. Yeah, yeah that, that's what's on the bulletin, and then it switches to the next scene. You know what's funny is um, I, I talk about it with Oscar Hillstrom in a previous episode, which is about um, uh, 1995. The, you know, this is, this is in 1995, and so just after OJ. Um, so interesting right. that there's not, you know, I think they probably had to go to a random news station to talk about a defendant in Denmark to not have, <laughs> to not date the movie with OJ. You know what I'm saying? Like to, to, to have that moment because that would have been happening in LA right at that time. 
Um, so we, we, we're in tw- about 25 and a half minutes right now. We're in a massive bookstore. Kino Kinea, eat your heart out. It's a very 90s bookstore. Um, but, you know, you see De Niro here as, uh, as, as Neil McCauley. You know, we see him in front of a shelf that's titled Mechanical Engineering. And for us, we know that he's not a mechanical engineer. So we know it must be around a job. He's sitting there in his, uh, he's gray, standing there in his gray suit. And then we cut to a big cafe sequence. He's got a bag. He's walking over. And, you know, this is Neil just going about his business. This is the stuff that we didn't see at the beginning of the previous heist, which is the Correct, work, yeah. the work. This is putting in the work. He's doing the research. He's going to have a meal by himself. He's going to read about, I think the title of the book we're going to find out in the next minute, but I think just to spoil it for the for, for those listening, I think it's like titanium, uh, heating in metals, um, perfect for cracking safes uh, to know how hot you need to heat up the titanium for it to melt. And, Stress uh, factors in ah, titanium. Ah, there you go. See, see, I knew the line was coming up. Shane has, Shane has done his homework in the next minute. <laughs> um, Stress fractures in titanium is what he's reading about, and he just sits down and... In the last second of the 26th minute, leading us into the 27th minute, we see him take a seat and a big bouffant. So before you actually get to see who it is, that will be in the next minute of one heat minute, um, you see Edie sitting next to him, played by Amy Brenneman. Um, you've already seen her walk through the bookstore very briefly. And you also see um, De Niro... I, I love the move that he does when she walks towards him. He just, yeah. he steps around her. There's this great sort of movement where he takes no notice of the person who's walking past him. And in fact, I kind of think that that, and I wonder what you think, Shane, is like, I kind of think of that as like him hiding who he is as well. Like his face is in the book. I don't need to look at you, every person that walks past. Um, yeah, this is a guy, <laughs> this is a guy who's constantly in incognito. And when he's reading the book and she's like, he senses someone walking towards him. You can tell that. Um, And she's stepping forward. And when Amy Brenneman passes by him, she actually looks at him and gives him a wry smile as well. Um, He's not noticing, but if you look at Amy's character, Edie, she's smiling at him. So we later find out that uh, he's, she's seen him plenty of times before yeah. and and, she, and she's looked and yeah there's a great she does smile and she's actually looking at him when he walks past and it's sort of unintelligible if you don't freeze frame it but <coughs> what would one heat minute be without me freeze framing something um it's uh 25 minutes and 40 seconds you can see her in blurred dante spinotti vision um looking at uh, looking at him and sort of checking what he's reading yeah, um, and, he, and the sign at where he's standing is actually says electrical engineering section. Yes. <laughs> That's where he's at. So uh, it's interesting because, yeah, she takes a look at him and that, both things on the way past. Yes. She goes, bang, bang, I'm scanning those. Cool. That's locked. Yeah. And, and in that moment, you're not thinking that this is a cop. You're just like, oh, she's just taking a glance at this guy. And we sort of see where it comes up. Yeah, I like this this cafe sequence outside the bookstore. It's very reminiscent if you're if you're a Sydney cider, 
Um, if you've ever been to sort of David Jones um, in the city, there's sort of a it's cafe. It's a big cafe. Yeah, there's a, there's a sort of cafe underneath, you know, the uh, both both um, uh, male and female sections of the David Jones store. And it, very reminiscent of this. There's like, a, you know, hundreds of people. There's lots of hot walks. There's lots of people being delivered food. And it's sort of people, one or two people at a time or single serving. And it, it's a very, it's a great place to be inconspicuous because you're just there and there's stacks of people there. And so there's sort yeah. of like a loner's, table and bench and that's where he sort of goes and plonks him, plonks himself down and uh neil is waiting for his meal to come along when we first see neil uh in the coffee shop a waiter walks past him quite briskly yes. with five i think five plates in yeah his hand. yes he does so it's, it's a busy cafe it's busy for us, for a guy like uh, to be carrying five plates of meals, they're not just like uh, bread, <laughs> toasted um, banana bread. It, they're actual meals. So, so Shane, it's a busy cafe, and prof- it almost hits De Niro as the, he walks by. The too. professionalism of heat does not just extend to the crooks and cops; it extends <laughs> to hospitality staff, which we've just seen back there. The goateed guy. Let's go back to Mister Goatee with his five meals coming past doing an outstanding job. Um, here he is. Let's, uh, let's hold, let's hold and pause. So if you're the guy that's at 25 minutes and 46 seconds with your five meals, well done to you, sir, from LA. And most likely this was a guy who actually worked there because man well, has a, man has a flavor for that. Everywhere. Well, that's what I'm thinking. He's either an actor or all actors are waiters, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> so he's either doing what he does. Uh, he's doing his two jobs this time at once. Or he is like, to make it all so realistic, Michael Mann's like, we want proper people, proper hospitality people here to be extras. Uh, I, would so, lo- I would love that. He's I like, caught that. He's, he's like, he's like oh, I need a hospitality person. Oh, you know that I'm actually an actor as well. <laughs> um, I love that, that casting conversation, imagining that. But yeah, so like, again, this is exactly, Mr. Incognito is such a great way to describe everything about Neil McCauley. And so much of, that Mr. Incognito look um, is carried through from Neil McCauley and there's a real connection um, aesthetically with Vincent in Collateral, which is man loves these sort of well-fitting but mm. not not precisely fitting grey suits. So there's an anonymity, um, these sort of very bland, regular haircuts, not... You know, there's nothing fancy. There's nothing notable. It's just sort of neat. Um, and yeah. and um, and gray fa- suits, gray, gray colors, great gray, gray colors. Everything's gray. And then um, specifically, you know, sort of nondescript facial hair, goatee, like nothing fancy, not big, not noticeable. Mm-hmm. Just oh, you know. Uh, again, I think one of the very first episodes when uh, Stu and I were talking about De Niro, it's like, how would you describe him? Well, he's got brown hair. He's got a goatee. He's wearing a Ambulance outfit. Anything else? Anything of note? No. No, he blends in. He's incognito. He, he He's invisible, basically. He is invisible, and that's the way it wants, he needs to be. I mean, even in the next minute, I think, when he gets asked, uh, coffee, sir, he doesn't really even look up. He just nods his head and says, thank you or something. So it's nothing out of the ordinary for people to remember him by, and that's, yeah. And he sits at that loner's bench, as you call it. <laughs> yeah. And and also, I think one of the cool things with Mann and Spinotti, um, the, the director of uh, photography, and, and the way that this scene is edited with the sound editing is um, it's kind of a, it's like there's a lot of activity. There's this hum of activity, but he seems to, 
I don't know how to put it, but like he seems to like be like this in the cone of silence. You know, there's nothing that mm. can cut through to him. Yeah. He's almost like that person. You know, I would imagine if if we were talking about Heat in 2017, Neil McCauley's the guy who always has his headphones in, but they may not be playing anything. You know, like he's always got that because he wants to be able to hear what's going on, but he doesn't want anyone to distract him. Um, I think to to me with Neil, nothing will really distract him because before it cuts to the coffee shop and he is in a restaurant, whatever you want to call it, the cafe, when he's in the bookstore, it's a lower volume, but there are people talking all around him. Yes. You can hear people whispering, talking about books. You can hear a um, off camera. You can hear a um, a customer retail assistant telling a customer about where interior design is on the back wall. So you hear all this, and it's going on around him. But and then it just raises the volume of a higher level when he gets to the cafe. But it's but uh, again, into, he's, he's mental, not. Yeah, his yeah. mental volume is lower. Like, oh, sorry, like, he's like, he's like, he's just blocking it all out. It's like white yeah. noise to him. And I think that that's a really, that's a really great flair that minor touches with like sensory touches for characters, you know, they feel yep. more silent. And I think everything about Vincent when he's in front of a criminal, which we're going to see more and more often, or in a public setting, um, he can have that bluster or there's a lot going on, like even around the crew when they're examining the fallout of the heist. Like there's so much activity and humdrum. It's like there's lots of activity. And so that noise is there. But with Neil in so many more of the scenes, it seems silent until, you know, our fantastic heist later on, which is just a deafening, deafening scene all around. That's the thing. I think that other than someone talking to Neil directly, only a gunshot is going to get his attention. <laughs> yes, a gunshot or someone holding a gun and then he whips yeah. out an assault rifle. Absolutely <laughs> right. Um, yeah, this is a... I love how much of this movie, and again, I'm probably going to slightly repeat myself, but uh, interesting to talk to our different guests about it, is I love how much of this movie there's no dialogue. Like, have we had one word said by a lead character in this minute? Uh, no. No. There's not a no. word. And and how much are you getting? There's so much in Pacino's performance. Um, you do hear a little bit. Uh, I think Amy Brenneman's character talks to someone as she walks in. As she walks the, in, yeah. To the bookshop. But other than that's sort of in the foreground. No direct uh, conversations by anyone else that we know of. It's all background stuff. Yeah, and so you, but, but so much about Mister Incognito and his performance and how he's quieting the world around him is there, and so much of, you know, how much, how taxing Vincent's job is on his life and relationships, and sort of those, you know, crushing realizations that he's in the same, same sort of cycle of, you know, relationship insanity um, that he's been through uh, several times before is is. There's so much of that that's already happened and not one single word has been spoken. I would love to... I, I need to get my hands on this script. I need to get my hands on this script to sort of have a look and unpack it. Vincent also is drinking whiskey and Neil's drinking coffee. And yeah. Neil's, Neil's reading a book. Vincent's watching... Uh, and Well, he's probably not watching it, but he's just tuned out to a, a news bulletin about Denmark. So, like, it's the, the, the contrast there, you know. I mean, I think Neil could easily be in a bar having a drink himself. 
yes. not sitting having a coffee and reading about the you know titanium. But it's so, all, like I, I even like that about um, in in the previous minute with Nate when he's talking about you know um, Kelso's got this job for you and he says nine a.m. tomorrow. Like he's like nine a.m. tomorrow. We'll talk mm. about it. Not nine a.m. in a week. Like let's just get over the fallout <laughs> of this. It's like nine a.m. Yeah. tomorrow, and you're like, oh okay. Like there's no. No rest for the wicked, so to speak, right? He's just right back into it. He, this is his life. And, um, and with Vincent, it's like he needs to reset so he can recharge almost. And, and, exactly. and, and Neil is like the ever-ready energizer bunny. He's just, he's, 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 you know, he's charged up on caffeine and, and reading about, you know, stress fractures in titanium. So um, we get to... Yeah, as, mu- as much as uh, Vincent switched on for crime-solving, uh, Neil switched on for being uh, able to be undetected yes as well and so here we go this is the 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 end of the 26th minute of michael mann's crime opus heat a minute that has so much going on in performance and movement and gesture and also it goes from a very sort of stylized moment in a home where they're trying to sort of display what the home life is like um, to, you know, a sort of crazy, um, hyperactive um, uh, couple of settings in both a, a very busy bookshop and then a very busy diner. Uh, and just how man characters, uh, particularly Neil in this case, is wanting to completely completely be anonymous and completely blend in. Um, I just, I think it's great. And But the next minute, unfortunately, is another meaty minute where we get to see you know, we start to get to see a little bit more of a human side to Neil. He's not just a cyborg. He's not just a robot. This is a guy who maybe is, is yeah. as he's saying, I'm alone, but I'm not lonely. Um, I think that might be just a great line um, to say, <laughs> which is, um, you know, he's he's kind of lived an entire life where he hasn't done anything else. Well, that's right. And and he might come across defensive but and with an attitude, but it's just barriers going up because of the way Neil is until obviously he starts to get to know someone that's it he starts to meet judge amy amy brenneman <laughs> i forgot about her in that show <laughs> I, think, I, I, I remember a uh, an ex of mine used to watch that show religiously and i'm like oh it's edie she's like what she's really good looking too lovely hair she's um really pretty woman i really have always liked her uh, whenever I've seen her, but it's she appears in sort of odd choices of movies over the years. She hasn't had a career that's really taken off, but she's always appeared in stuff, so she's constantly working. And a, and a solid character actor as well, because again, you've got to think of everyone who's in this movie has to act the opposite of Pacino and De Niro. And so everyone's game is elevated significantly, and hers is particularly. Um, and it's the unfortunate thing is, she's meant to be a bit more useful and a little bit more loose. And I think you can tell that in everything about her. And so like, I think it's that, you know, we talk about opposites and contrasts a lot in, in what we've been talking about, but you just, you have one look at, you know, Neil in this and he's very clinical and it's the suit and it's the, the grays and it's the white. Um, yeah. And, and then you look at um, Brenneman and she's, you know, a lot more loose. She's got the long flowing, beautiful curly hair, but it's kind of messy. She wears loose fitting clothing. Um, she's a bit hippier. She's artistic. Um, she's a designer on the side, works in a bookstore. You know, she's there. There's something different 
um, about her and a little bit more useful and a little bit more naive um, that, uh, and, and I think, um, you know, I can't wait to sort of explore and discuss um, those contrasts about these two, this odd couple, because they are an odd couple, you know, Diane Venora suits Vincent to the ground. And I would say oh, that yeah. Charlene suits, you know, the, the wildness of Krisha Hillis and Zal Kilmer to the ground as well. But um, this is a bit of an odd one. Yeah, I, I like that Amy Brenneman's an actress who I think doing a lot of TV is to her benefit because you've got to work fast on TV. Yes. And when you're working um, opposite an actor like De Niro, you've got to be working fast yourself. And <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And so she holds her own as well. I, I don't. I can't fault any actors in this movie anyway, no. but just in this particular um, upcoming minutes that you'll be discussing in the future, I just know that Amy's character develops and I think she's just a, a really good actress, perfect for this role. Yes, definitely. Look, ladies and gents, this has been another One Heat Minute. Shane, thank you again so much. A, a dynamic duo of minutes, um, including a cliffhanger with a chicken leg, which I wasn't expecting, but I'm very <laughs> pleased um, that we did have that. Guys, you can find Shane and all of his stuff on print, online, and also on the radio um, at movie underscore analyst on the Twitters. That's probably the best place to find him. Shane is going to be back he promises that he wants to come back, and I've said I will absolutely have him back for another one heat minute. So thank you again, mate, for joining me. Thank you, Blake. It's been great. And the things that you pick up, I mean, who would have known that um, a waiter walked past holding five plates? Look, and again, the professionalism knows no bounds, all right? This is the, <laughs> this is the, Michael, Mann, the Michael Mann method. Um, guys, I've been your host, Blake Howard. Um, uh, you can find me at Blake is Batman. Um, you can find One Heat Minute on Facebook or at oneheatminute.com. If you guys have got any cool articles, cool insights, or any other folks who are listening who want to get in touch, um, mail at oneheatminute.com is the best place to find us. Um, but thank you so much again. Thank you to Paul Davies for our music. Thank you to Garth Franklin for our website design. Um, and thank you guys all for listening. This has been so um, such a, a fun thing, and I'm having so much fun with all of our amazing guests, such as Shane as well so um, we look forward to catching you guys next week um, we're here every Tuesday and Friday and please subscribe rate and review to One Heat Minute and we'll catch you soon cheers Blake bye for now when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply